The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. It's good to see you. Happy Easter to you all and happy April Fool's Day. Now here's the thing about April Fool's Day is that April Fool's Day is only fun if you're on the truth side of the story, right? If you're on the other side of the story, everybody else is enjoying making a fool out of you and they're just having a good time and it's no fun when, when you find out that you've just been made a fool of. Of course, everybody else enjoys it. And so what I promise to you today is that I will keep you on the truth side of the story. I'm not gonna make a fool out of you. I'm going to share with you from the truth of the word, and I love Easter, man. I love Easter uh, because so many people focus on Jesus during this time of year. Um, even, even when, you know, maybe they're not as focused throughout, throughout the normal uh, part of the year, when it comes to Easter, people tend to turn their attention. Sometimes people go to church and they don't even know why, and so it's an encouraging time to me, and certainly I believe it is the most important event in history. It's certainly... Uh, just radically changed my life. When I, when I finally encountered Christ and moved beyond religion to an understanding of who he is in my life and what that means for me and the transformation that, that took place, it totally changed me. And so Easter is like a reminder of that. This Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. That's why we gather together and we worship him and we do it every Sunday because that's the day, the first day of the week, the, the Lord's Day is what they started calling it. Totally revolutionized even religion at that time because they met the day before and all of a sudden there's this major shift and Christianity comes out of the ground, man, and it starts rolling and it has been rolling ever since. And so Jesus is doing these resurrection stories spiritually. We learn in the Bible that Jesus resurrects people spiritually. We're all dead in our sins and trespasses. We encounter Christ. He raises us to a newness of life. And he said that's exactly what he would do. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly, but the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So there's this, there's this battle that is going on. It is a cosmic heavenly battle that is going on between the spiritual forces of evil and the Lord and all of his forces for good. And it is for the souls of humanity and whether or not we begin to understand what the truth is about life itself and who Jesus is and the identity of Christ. Most important question that a person will ever answer is who is Christ? Who is Jesus? What did he do? What in fact was his purpose for coming and hanging on the cross of Calvary? And as we begin to deal with that and we come to a, an awakening, if you will, spiritually, we're raised to a newness of life. And so I have uh, stories. That, man, there's just, just thousands of people over the last 20 years that I've encountered that have um, experienced like a, a transformation from Christ. And there's just hundreds of them on Easter, man. And my favorite one, as I look on all of those Easter stories, is a few years ago when I was still living in Oklahoma, um, we, we had a, a good crowd showed up on Sunday morning. And man, I was preaching the word. And, and so this guy comes and he ends up giving his life to Christ. Now here's his story. Um, later, he gets baptized a year later, but I hear, heard his story about a week or so later. He came and, and I met him. I didn't even know him. He said, man, I, I got up that Easter Sunday and I was driving around and I was, I was as high as you can be. Like he, he, he was strung out on meth. And he said, I just felt like I should go to church. And so I went to church. 
And he said, man, I sat there, and as I was sitting there, like, the Lord, I could just feel the Lord working on me. And so here's a guy who was an addict that was totally strung out on meth, and he meets the Lord on Easter Sunday, and he's been clean ever since. Like, baptized him a year later. He talks in his testimony. I still have his, uh, uh, his testimony on video where he talks about, man, the Lord just delivered him from that addiction and totally changed his life. And so it's an amazing thing to think about how the Lord can encounter a person who is in a place like that and turn him around. Now, a lot of you are probably saying, well, that's great, man, but I'm not strung out on meth, right? Here's the deal. We're all strung out on something, like everybody. And, and, and so we look at people in life, and, and people, everyone is strung out on something. We can get strung out on careers. We can get strung out on um, relationships. We can get strung out on chemicals. We can get strung out on shopping. <laughs> I thought the men would say amen. <laughs> no, we can get strung out on hobbies. We can get strung out on all kinds of stuff. And so everybody's strung out on something. And so there's a story in the Bible about a man and a woman. And the story is found in in Luke chapter 7. It's a really cool story. And and it's about, uh, one, the guy is strung out on religion and power. And the, the, the lady, she's strung out on money and possessions. And so we, the Bible tells us the name of the guy. His name is Simon. We don't know what the name of the woman is. And I like to call her Susan because Susan sounds good with Simon, right? And it's easy to talk about. So the Bible doesn't tell us what her name was. But, but she was a woman that is in this story. And there are three characters in the story that we're going to talk about today. It's Luke chapter 7. It's in your bulletin. You can read it and you can see that you know, some of the things, I'm going to fill in a few blanks, but nothing to change any kind of th- theology or anything. I'm going to teach you exactly what the word teaches. But there are some things to the story that we kind of have to think about, well, what's going on here? And so I'm going to tell this story about these three characters. It's Simon. We'll call the lady Susan. And the third character is Jesus. And so what we have is Simon is a Pharisee. And what that means is that he was a religious guy, like he was um, one of the pastors or one of the priests of the day, whatever you want to say. He was a religious leader of the day, which these people, man, they held a very respectful position in the Jewish culture. Like they were, they were elevated above other people. They were very smart people. They had to memorize like the entire Old Testament. They knew it because it was a verbal tradition and it was passed down verbally from generation to generation. And the way that you became a Pharisee or one of the religious leaders leaders like Simon was, is you had to be good enough to memorize all of that. And so all of the kids had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All Jewish children had to memorize that. But if they were really good at it, there would be a rabbi in their life who recognized how good they were at it when he taught them, and they would call them up to the next school, and they would teach them some more. And then when they got about the age of 14, if they were really, really good, they'd be selected by a rabbi, and they would be apprenticed to that rabbi for several years, and they would follow him. They would follow close to him. But everyone who wasn't good enough, wasn't smart enough, was not selected by a rabbi and apprenticed to him. And so therefore, they went out and they became fishermen or basket weavers or um, farmers, you know, they had sheep herders, whatever they could find to, to do the work to provide for their family. Generally, they would go back in and work with the family and, and accomplish whatever that family had done as a business, and that's how they would make money. But the very special people were selected, and so that's where we have Simon, is he is one that made the cut. He was hand-selected by a rabbi, and so he, um, he's got a great position in life. He makes really good money. Uh, because he's really well respected. Everybody looks out to him. And so we see him, and he invites Jesus over to his house. 
Now, the reason he invites Jesus over to his house is because he wants to figure out what this Jesus is all about because Jesus totally was revolutionizing everything. Like he was disrupting everything and he was especially disrupting the things for the religious leaders like Simon. And so Simon wanted to get some insurance. He wanted to figure out, was Jesus in fact who he said he was or was he a fraud? And so he decided that he was going to have Jesus over into his home. And really what he had in mind is he was going to try to catch him slipping up. And so that's what the whole dinner invitation that he extended to Jesus uh, is about. And so Simon lived on the right side of the tracks. I mean, Simon had a nice home. He was well-respected in society. But Susan did not. You see, Susan was a woman who made her living by selling her body to men for pleasure. And so she found out early in life that um, that was a good way for her to make a living, and that's the road she chose. And for several years, we don't know how long, but she engaged in this lifestyle so she could afford to purchase herself the things that she wanted to purchase. And so she didn't live on the same side of tracks of the tracks as Simon, and she was looked down upon by the rest of society. And so what we have is the up, upper crust of society and the slum. We have power and prestige in Simon, and we have a lady who is pursuing, pursuing possessions and willing to compromise anything in her life. And so we have one guy strung out on religion and power, another one strung out on possessions, willing even to take it as far as doing what she did with her body in order to please her, her flesh. And so Susan made her living that way. And, and so one evening, we don't know exactly what happened, but at some time in Susan's life, she encountered Jesus. Because when she found out that uh, uh, Jesus was going to be at Simon's house eating, then she wanted to go meet him. And so we know that she already had, uh, had an encounter with him because she is desperate to go and have this meeting with Jesus. She wants to give him a gift. And so probably what has happened is Susan was going through life. She'd probably gotten a little older, probably was getting a little bit more difficult to maintain this lifestyle and even get men to be in, interested in her and pay a premium. She was broken on the inside. Man, she had possessions, but she had no purity on the inside. She didn't feel good about herself. She felt horrible about herself. And so she's living life trying to make sense of it. And, and it's very good odds that she was traveling through the streets of Jerusalem one day and a crowd was gathering on a hillside and they were listening to Jesus talk. And for some reason or another, she was pulled in that direction and she started to listen to Jesus. And Jesus probably said something like the gospels record as he looked out into the crowd and probably specifically looked at this Susan and said, come unto me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And Susan probably heard that and thought in the, inside, man, I am so broken. I need some soul rest. And she probably at some kind of a, a teaching time when Jesus was offering that invitation of life as he did and people were becoming disciples of him, of his, she surrendered and she received that life and she felt a change come over her and she knew there was a newness, there was a transformation. She wasn't the same that she was before. She accepted the truth that Jesus was claiming to offer, the living water. He says, I will give you living water that will spring up from within you and it will come out of you for even others to be able to drink from the fountain of life that is in you. And so Susan tasted that water, man, and it totally changed her life. So she found out that Jesus was going to be at Simon's. 
And so when she heard that Jesus was going to be at Simon's, she wanted to give Jesus a special gift. So she went back to her apartment, and she's just tearing her apartment apart because she doesn't want to miss this opportunity to give Jesus this gift. And she's looking for an alabaster vial of ointment. And this is a very expensive possession that a person during this period of time would have. And so she's going through her stuff, and she's just, man, she's in a, a, a rush. She's doing everything she can to find that thing that she's hidden away, and she finds it. And once she finds it, she doesn't have a plan. She's she just headed to Simon's house. We don't know how she knows Simon. There could be a backstory there, and we won't get into that today. But she knew where Simon lived, and she knew Jesus was going to be at Simon's house. And so she's making her way across town without a plan. She has no plan whatsoever. She doesn't even know what she's going to do when she gets there. All she knows is that the one who's changed her life is there, and she wants to give him this gift. And so she's going across town. Man, can you see Susan? Can you see her, man? Can you see her like tears running down her face? Her life has been changed. She's been treated as worthless by men throwing money at her to please them. And she's making her way to the man that has totally changed her life and given her hope. And on the way, man, she gets there and she's, she's just overcome by emotion and anxiety and, and joy and, and fear. And all these things are running through her. And she doesn't know what she's going to do when she gets there. And, and Jesus and Simon, they're starting their meal. And the way you would eat during this period of time is you wouldn't eat around a table like we do. You would recline, kind of like if you were playing a board game with the kids in the living room. And you recline back on one elbow and you play a Monopoly or whatever it is that you're going to play. And you, and you sit there and you enjoy one another's fellowship. That's how they would eat during this period of time. So can you see that Simon has brought Jesus in? He doesn't know Jesus. You know what it's like to have new people over to your house. It's a little bit awkward, especially the first 10 minutes, right? Are they even going to like us? Are they going to like our kids? Are they going to like our cat? I'm not. <laughs> no, no, I'm Jesus. <laughs> and so, that, and so they, 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 they come in, and, 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 and they're sitting there, and they're relaxed, and they're, or they're trying to get in this relaxed place, and Simon is making introductions, and they're there. And, and all of a sudden, man, Susan is making her way across town, and she barges through the door, and she finds herself standing over the feet of Jesus. And she just starts to weep. And she doesn't know what to do next. And she opens her eyes and she looks down and her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. And so she falls to her knees and she reaches back. And Simon is looking at her like, what is this woman doing in my home? And she unbuttons the clip in her hair and lets her hair down. And Simon's getting really nervous now. What's Jesus going to do? And so she takes her hair and she begins to wipe Jesus's feet clean and after she wipes them clean she just begins to kiss his feet here's a here's this woman with this reputation that is kissing the feet of Jesus and Simon the religious leader's home and he's looking at the whole thing he doesn't even know what to do or what to say and then the next thing you know she breaks open this vial of perfume and the house is filled with this fragrance and she pours it upon the feet of Jesus and Simon is captivated, and as he's locked in on the woman, and he locks in on Jesus, he's saying to himself, I got him. Like if he were any kind of prophet at all, he would know what kind of woman is fondling his feet. And Jesus turns to Simon, and he says to Simon, can you see this woman, Simon? And Jesus, as he asks the question, he turns to look at Susan, and he talks to Simon, he says, you cannot see her as she is because you're only looking at her 
as she used to be. Simon, I came into your home. You didn't give me a customary deal of water to wash my feet with, which was what everybody did who invited a guest into their home. And he says, but this woman is washing my feet with her tears. You didn't give me a customary greeting, which would have been a a, a kiss on the cheeks, but this woman is smothering my feet with uh, uh, kisses. You didn't give me any ointment for my head, Solomon, but she is pouring her costly perfume on my feet and massaging them. Simon, I've put you side by side with this woman, and you are as coarse as a gunny sack, and she is as smooth as silk. And man, he is pointing right into Simon's life. And the trouble with Simon and all who are like him is that they think they can see and they cannot. Thinking they see everything, they see nothing about Jesus. And that is such a good description of the people in our modern day world. Thinking they know everything about what it means to believe in Jesus, they know nothing. And that's where Simon was. And so he asked Simon, a question. He says, Simon, there, there was a couple of people who owned a money lender, a lot of money. One of them owed him uh, $500, and the other one owed him $50,000, and neither one of them could afford to pay. And so the money lender called them both in, and he said, I'm going to forgive both of you your debts. Simon, which one do you think loves the money lender more? And Simon says, I suppose, I suppose the one who was forgiven much. And he says, that's exactly right, Simon. You have judged correctly. The one who is forgiven more loves more. And so what we have here is that we see that that Jesus is poignantly trying to get at Simon. You see, Simon wanted to catch Jesus tripping up. But Jesus wanted to set Simon free. When you read the story, if you're not careful, you'll begin to think as um, the gospel of Luke and the writer Luke, he, he shares with us, you begin to think that the story is all about the woman. It's not about the woman. It's about Simon. Jesus is after Simon. The woman is a side story of what Jesus does in a life whenever he captivates that person with all that he wants to do. And so as we look at this story and we begin to think, what if I told you? What if I told you, like, if you, what if this happened? You got a call from your mortgage company. Most of you probably still owe in your mortgage. If you don't, God bless you. <laughs> your mortgage company called and they said, hey, we're going to forgive you the rest of your mortgage. You don't have to pay it back. Why not? We just randomly selected someone and we decided that, you pay on time all the time, and we just wanted to have a winner in our, of all of our customers, and you're the one. You don't have to pay your mortgage. How would that change your life? I mean, one, you would have all of the disposable income that goes toward your principal and interest every, every month. You would have that to spend on whatever you want, wanted, so now you would have more disposable income. And, and not only that, you would have all the equity in your home that you could borrow against if you wanted to buy another home and started flipping properties or, or buy a business or do all kinds of things. What would happen is you would experience financial freedom, and we look at that and we go, man, I get that. I get that. Like, I, I would like to be financially free, and that is a great aim uh, for us to shoot for. Here's the deal, is we all have a sin debt. Like, we all come into this world, and we come in as sinners. Like, you you don't have to teach your kids how to sin. They just know, man. They just sin. And so we, we look at our sin debt. Not only is the interest compounding and growing beyond what the national debt is, the principle's growing along with it. 
Like, because we just keep adding to the principle, and we're not doing anything for the interest, and we run around thinking that if we do enough goodness that we could take care of that principle and get it low enough that when God, the, the life lender, looks at us, he would say, oh, you did pretty good. I'm going to let you in, and that's not how it works. The only thing we can do about our sin problem is go to Jesus, whom we owe the debt, and say, will you forgive me? And that's all you can do. And that's what Easter is all about. Jesus conquered death by going to the cross and dying my death, paying my debt for life that I could not pay. He paid my debt, and he offers forgiveness to me if I will come to him in faith and confess him as Lord and Savior. And when I come, what happens is, is that he gives me the, the, the new spirit life. Um, my youngest daughter's name is Zoe, and we named her Zoe Noel, and it means spiritual life. Like, it is the beginning. Like, Noel means birth. Zoe means the new life in Christ, and so it is new spiritual life. And that's why she's named Zoe Noel. So we just I loved that whole concept of, of what that means for me individually and for humanity. And so when we surrender to Christ and we ask him for forgiveness, he pays our debt. And just like if our mortgage company forgave us of our, all of our principal and we were set financially free, what that would do for us, something even more valuable happens when Jesus pays our sin debt. We become free on the inside, and so we get this Zoe Noel. There is a newness of spiritual life that happens in us. And when it happens, man, it changes you. It's not about going to church and being religious and, and, and being a person who goes, oh, well, I go to church all the time, or, or I, uh, I was baptized at a certain time. Who cares where you go to church or when you were baptized if you don't know Jesus? Like, what difference does it make? Like, there ought to be a transformation that has happened in your life that is so significant that your sin debt has been paid, and you go, I am free. And that's what the Holy Spirit's role is in our lives. That is the gospel. And, and the world is desperately craving for that kind of meaning. And, and people, like, when we get there, like, what happens is joy unspeakable and full of glory. It just comes out of us, and we want to yield to Jesus because we understand that he has paid our debt, and we just want to walk with him in a, in a deeper relationship, and the more that we yield, the more, the, the more intimate that relationship becomes, and the more freedom that comes into my life, and we experience more joy, which in turn start, starts us on this cycle, this spiritual journey of reproducing the life of Christ in ourselves, where the Holy Spirit has put inside of me a fountain that is welling up to eternal life. <laughs> and so here's the big idea of today's talk. We're all strung out on something and life happens when it's Jesus. Like, we, look at the, we look at the videos. Caitlin said she wanted to trade her life like she traded her life. She realized she wanted to be a new creation. So she traded the old for the new. Amy said, I wanted to keep growing. And so she traded the old for the new. Casey said, I wanted to trade chaos for joy. Landon and Alicia traded separation for connection. And Brittany traded the broken walls for peace with the Lord. They exchanged what they were strung out on for Jesus. Listen, let me be the first to admit, I've already done it. I know what it is to be strung out. And I know what it is to be strung out on Jesus. I know what it is to substitute that for something else. And I know what it is to, to make it Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And when we make it Jesus and we surrender to him, man, life comes into us. And so my question for you today is, what are you strung out on? Because you're strung out on something. 
It's either strung out on a career, you could be strung out on your family and, and your kids, you could be strung out, you could be strung out on religion. You could be strung out on money, you can be strung out on chemicals, you can be strung out on all kinds of things, any kind of pleasure. There are only two choices, string out on a substitute or string out on Jesus. That is the gospel. That's what Easter is all about. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.